0: Welcome to MFM Speaks Out. This is the official podcast of the nonprofit advocacy organization called Musicians for Musicians. This monthly podcast is co hosted by MFM members and musicians Adam Reifsteck and yours truly, Dawood Kringle. MFM seeks to bring together musicians from all disciplines, styles, traditions, and locations in the cause of their mutual self betterment. Whether through education, networking, or political action, MFM's ultimate goal is to elevate the work of all musicians to the level of a true profession. We encourage you to visit musiciansformusicians.org and to join our organization. If you'd like to become a supporter, you may do so by visiting our website. Again, that's musiciansformusicians.org. Our guest today is guitarist, Singer, songwriter, and producer Jackie Venson. Before we begin the interview, let's give a listen to the title track of Jackie's latest release Joy. <laughs>
1: Something new, realized I had been used. Now, trust is hard to do, not only tonight. My soul is not for rent I decide, I decide My dreams cannot be bent I decide, I decide
0: All right, thank you for joining us, Jackie. Yeah,
2: no problem. Thanks
0: for having me. All right, beautiful, beautiful. Let's start at the beginning. Your website said that you had started out uh, as a student playing uh, classical piano at the Berkeley College of Music. How did you? Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. How did you get started with music?
2: I started playing when I was eight years old. Mm. Uh, my mom is like a. My mom's not a musician but she is a huge music fan, and my dad is a musician and played music professionally for, like, at least 40 years. So when I was eight years old, my mom signed me up for piano lessons because, you know, that's what moms do, and uh, (laughs) I just actually ended up liking it, and then I stuck with it. (laughs) I was one of the few children that was like, hey, this is cool. (laughs) Really? Yeah. I mean, it was like, it took a year or two for me to kind of get used to having to practice consistently, but... Once I realized that, like, you could practice and learn a song and then you can play the song for other people and then they might like you, uh, I was like, OK, I guess I could do it, do this for an hour a day. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that was Those were my kid thoughts, at least. <laughs> yeah, of
0: course. But uh, then then you uh, decided to switch to guitar. What was that story like?
2: I went to college at Berkeley and mm-hmm. I it was, it was a really hard school. Um, because it was a lot of homework. Like, people, I, people including myself, uh, think that it's like music school. You know, you go, and the teachers are like, oh, I'm going to teach you about music, and blah, 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 and we're going to listen to music and write music, and then, you know, they think we're, like, we jam. It's like, okay, well, now now school's over, so let's go jam all night. Like, I really think that that's a, a huge misconception. Uh, music school is actually real school. I was doing, like, 10 hours of homework every night.
3: Mm, mm,
2: mm. Yeah, it was really hard, and and, uh, there was not a lot of, like, playing, you know? wasn't, like, a lot of jamming. Yeah, so I didn't actually improve on the piano at all when I was there. Like, the only piano playing I did was was, uh, the private lesson requirement. You know, you had a prerequisite for your major, just like any other college, and one of those prerequisites was having to take a year of private lessons. So that was the most playing I did at that school. Otherwise, it was all... Man, like transcribing music, learning how to write on the grand staff, like literally learning how to notate music by hand, mm. a, lot of, uh, a lot of software, learned how to use Pro Tools, learned how to use digital performer, I don't even think this anymore, learned how to use a lot of different digital audio workstations. I learned how to arrange for strings, I learned how to arrange for a 30-piece orchestra, I learned how to arrange for a 3, 4, 5-piece rock band, I learned how to arrange for a big band, like 12-piece horns. It was really, really a very, very challenging school. Uh, I realized very quickly why the dropout rate was 65%. Wow. People thought it was going to be like this big, fun jam, when really it's like, wow, I didn't even know music could be this hard. So yeah, it was a really hard school, and it drove me away from performing for a while, and I got really depressed. And when I came back, I realized that I had spent three years at this school, and I had learned a lot, but I actually hadn't gotten any better at the piano. I hadn't expanded at all. I hadn't grown. And that really, really depressed me. Hmm. And it kind of depressed me all the way out of the piano. Wow. And so then I was like, the only thing that can bring me back right now is if I do something completely new. Like, you know when you feel like everything's all wrong and you just have to completely start over?
0: Yeah. That's how
2: I felt. Yeah. And I uh, picked the guitar.
0: How was that transition? Uh, how, how did? How long was it before you started uh, performing on guitar in public?
2: So I started performing on guitar in public about a year and a half in, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't... That doesn't mean that I was good. It just means that I was layman good. Mm
3: -hmm. You know what I
2: mean? There's like good to the layman, and then there's objectively good to somebody who has trained music ears.
3: Mm
2: So, a year and a half in, I was not good if you're going to go with the latter. But I was good if you are going to go with the former. So like the, my standards are way, 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 way higher than the average person is what I'm trying to say. So I didn't think I was very good a year and a half in, but my dad talked me into going and performing in front of people because he told me that I could play well enough to not get laughed at. That's what he told me. <laughs> <laughs> he was always honest, right? And uh, so I started playing live a year and a half into the guitar, but it wasn't consistent. You know, it was just like open mics, jams. I was just playing live just to get the real life... Like shed. You know what I mean? Like the real performance, real stage experience. It's not something you can recreate in your rehearsal room.
0: Going out and taking your lumps, in other words.
2: Yeah, and and I did it in a very low-key way. You know, I never Mm. took a gig. I I would go to an open mic and all, all I have to do is play three songs. All I have to prepare is three songs. Or I would go to a blues jam. and I just cautiously started stepping out just to get the experience. Um, but it really, when it comes to my standard of good, it wasn't until year six that I was mm-hmm. anywhere near my definition of good. It, year six was when it started. In year six, I still felt like I had a whole lot of work to do to be even decent. Um, and, then, and then I guess my full standard of good was around year eight, like last year. That's when I finally could sit down and, and accept, like if somebody tells me I'm good, I can agree with them. Mm. That's, that was last year. If you would have tried to tell me I'm good any year before last year, I would have been like, no, no. <laughs> I would have disagreed with you.
0: Well, we are you know our know own mean? worst critics. you know. We, uh...
2: Yeah, but I also would listen back to all of my shows. I would mm-hmm. do that thing that Prince did, and I would record my shows, and I would listen back, and, and I would listen as objectively as possible. And uh, I just I just know what good guitar players sound like. I just know. There was a crap load of them at Berkeley. There's a whole lot of great guitar players in Austin. I just know, and, and before last year, whenever I would listen back, I'd be like, Ugh, it's just not there yet. I don't know why, can't explain why, it's just not there yet.
0: Mm. You know, several years ago, actually, I uh, uh, heard you by, by accident when I uh, walked into a club in Harlem, Silvana,
2: yeah, that, yeah. That, That's the gig that landed me that sit-in gig at uh, the Late Show.
0: Really? That really?
2: was that must have been in 2016 or maybe around 2017 when you saw me there. That sounds. I played about there right. in that same show. That same show, the drummer of the Late Show band was at it, and he like recorded me, and then they asked me to sit in for five episodes, like in 2016. Mm, yeah. <laughs> It's so crazy that that's the show you saw me
0: at. Well, I yeah, I I thought you were good. I mean, I was like, this woman knows what she's doing. And
2: um, <laughs> I think by then I did. That year I felt better about my
0: playing. It looked like you were enjoying yourself. You know, yeah. on stage. In fact, well, it always, thats I've noticed that about you. You always look like you're really having a lot of fun, and uh, that you uh, you really connect with your audiences really easily.
2: Yeah, I um, yeah, I got that from my dad. My dad played gigs for the longest time, and he would bring me to the gigs, and uh, that was the example I had. He would be on stage, and he'd be having a good time with his friends on on stage with his band, you know, and he would be interacting with the crowd. And I uh, I think I one hundred percent just got that from my dad.
0: Mm. You're yeah. uh, you know I've I've listened to quite a bit of your music, and uh, there's Obvious elements of reggae, rock, pop, uh, classical, your classical training is pretty obvious. But uh, yeah. blues seems to tie it all together and obviously forms the foundation of your music. Was that something that, uh, that came out of your background in Austin? Uh, what, what's your philosophy behind the blues? How do you tap into that spirit? How do you approach that?
2: Well, all of the other genres that you listed, besides classical, um, are children of the blues. Mm -hmm. So the reason why the blues ties all my stuff together is because the blues is the parent of all my stuff. Like, reggae, rock, jazz, literally everything, before Mm -hmm. all of that was the chord and melodic structure of blues. And so um, it all all gets tied together because it's all the same. (laughs) It's essentially all the same. like. Basically, like reggae is just blues, but with the kick on two and four,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: jazz is just blues with some outside neighboring chords thrown in.
0: Yeah, extended and some, harmonies like, strange, and everything.
2: Yeah, and tensions. It's just blues with tensions thrown in. Rock is just blues played faster and, and with uh, with different and louder with different types of instruments. Um, everything is blues. Electronica is blues with electronic instruments everything is blues so mm-hmm. like it's just tied together with with that you know it's the glue <laughs> mm.
0: but the classical thing was is also pretty obvious in your uh in your music is that something that uh that's was a conscious uh, decision or uh, did that did that just happen uh...
2: i think that the uh classical training is what um, steers my arrangement ideas
0: mm mm-hmm.
3: mhm
2: And the way that I, uh, maybe sometimes it'll be a melody, a hook melody that I'm singing, or maybe sometimes it'll be a hook melody that the instruments are playing. Those kinds of decisions that I make are the foundation of those decisions is classical music. Classical music is all about dynamics. It's all about expression. Mm
3: -hmm. It's all about,
2: like, it's, it's, it's about playing the song correctly, the way it was written, but it's also about putting your interpretation on... What parts need to be intense? What parts need to be, you know, soft? And of course, the written music kind of gives you like what the composer intended. Like, hey, we we're going to put a fortissimo on this one, so we we as the I as the composer wants want you to play loud here. But what I learned from my teacher is that you don't always have to follow those dynamic marks. If you think something, if you have a different interpretation of where you think that fortissimo should be, then feel free to explore that. And that was something that my first piano teacher kind of showed me at a really young age that even though it's written this way, you can express it a different way. And so I would have the structure of of the writing, you know, because all these songs are composed by geniuses, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Um, so I would have, I would kind of like learn from their structure, their ideas, like, why did he put a fortissimo here? Why did he put a decrescendo here? You know, all that kind of stuff. Why is there a coda? Why is there not a coda? Mm. You know, all of those questions I started asking and exploring at a really young age because of class 1. And so I think that later, come back around when I'm in my mid-20s starting to write songs on the guitar and stuff, I think those ideas definitely informed a lot of my arrangement decisions.
0: Mm. You had done uh, a number of videos. I was looking at a lot of your videos, and uh, I really enjoyed them, by the way. Yeah, a lot of the videos that you've been putting out and uh, are uh, live performances. In fact, uh, you have uh, quite a prolific output in uh, in your uh, in your video presentations. Collection, yeah. But yeah. it's also but you also have uh, done a number of uh, music videos, and it's mm-hmm. obvious that you put a lot of effort into the production as a of a video as an art form. Uh, like like Joy, for example, has a has very colorful imagery and uh, flying is another thing that uh, that uh, to my to my to my eyes and my ears seems to tell a very human story which i'm inclined to believe maybe autobiographical on some level
2: yeah the the lyrical the lyrical decisions
0: yeah like
2: what i'm songs about definitely and the, I, and I the definitely visual thing about my experiences
0: how do you approach your ideas for videos and your collaborations with directors?
2: Well, I actually, when I start to collaborate with other people, I like to give them a lot of freedom Mm
3: -hmm. because
2: I'm not a videographer. I'm not a videographer. I'm not a DP. I'm not a director. I have ideas and I'm a creative person. I'm a creative individual. So what I like to do is I like to hire somebody who has like a good portfolio. Like before I even call them, I make sure that, They can do the type of work that I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. And then after I've called them, we just start talking about ideas, and I just dump all my ideas on them. (laughs) And I also, like, send them, like, a recap. Like, okay, these are all the ideas I just dumped on you. Mm
0: -hmm. And then they,
2: with their expertise, with their know-how, they know what is possible. They know how to capture this emotion with a camera. That's, That's all the kind of stuff that I really don't understand. It's not my... It's not my bag, Mm. you know? So I don't like to try and micromanage any kind of director. It's basically like an initial brain dump of what the song's about, what the emotions around it are, how I would like to portray the emotions. You know, I just tell them all that kind of stuff in just like one big, crazy conversation. And then they take all that and get back to me in a few days later, like with... A treatment, and sometimes depending on the director, they'll give me like two or three options. They're we'll like, "Okay, we can go with this one, or we can go with this one, or we can go with that one." <laughs> and so I'll read all of them and I'll figure out which one resonates with me the most, and and then we'll we'll shoot it. And they, since that's what they do, you know, they're they're the ones who coordinate all the camera people, they need all those stuff. They just take care of all of it. I mean, I will admit it's not it's not cheap to do it that way,
3: mm-hmm.
2: but it's uh it's nice. It's stress-free for me. I get to just be creative. Um, it's nice for them because they're getting supported for the work that they do, you know, because like, I'm not like hiring like universal music video people. I'm hiring like independent mm-hmm. artists to do this for me, basically. So I'm putting money back into the music scene in Austin, and I'm also just giving somebody else an opportunity to be creative and put a spin on stuff with just a little bit of guidance from me and my vision. Mm. It's actually really, really a great experience for me. And every time I get get a hold of the money to do it, I, I do it. I do it as much as I can. But I obviously can't be paying for these music videos like every other month because they, like I said, they're pretty expensive. But it's always worth every penny whenever I can afford to do it.
0: Yeah, I uh, I really enjoyed your videos. Uh, uh, yeah. I thought that they were beautifully done, and uh, obviously, you know, you're 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 doing a, a Collaboration here with some with somebody who's got a a, a, pro, a, a different art form that you're you uh, cross referencing your own uh, uh, ideas and of course they have to have a, a sympathetic uh, view of your own vision because they're trying to translate that into uh, your music into something that's uh, that's visual. It's an interesting yeah. process. I've noticed that. Uh, these different types of artists uh dancers film directors etc etc they are a tribe oh
2: yeah, yeah Just there's, like musicians yeah
0: mm-hmm. absolutely yeah there's a yeah they they have a different uh, view on things they have they have their own culture almost
2: absolutely sometimes they have their own language sometimes they have their own silent language they can look at each other and know what each other's thinking
3: yeah <laughs> oh
2: yeah yeah, that's what I'm saying. If they're a whole tribe and they're immersed in their art and they're immersed in, like, the community of their art, which is why I like to just—as long as somebody has a portfolio and the portfolio looks good, as soon as I hire them, I I don't meddle. Like I said, we have the initial talk, and then I just trust them because mm. they, they're in a tribe that I'm not in, and they have skills that I don't have, and they have a perspective that I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And so— and I'm hiring them for an expertise, and and so I just have to, like, let go of the wheel for a second and let them, let them steer for a little while. And also, like, the other thing is is that, like, I have a million songs, so it's like if we do the video and we do the song and maybe the video is good, but perhaps it wasn't exactly what I was imagining, it's okay, I'll just do another song. You know, it's not always about me. You know, like, you just said that you really enjoyed my videos,
3: mm-hmm. so that's
2: great. And how much would it have sucked if I was like one of those crazy, like, super neurotic people who never released anything because <laughs> at the last minute I was like, no, it sucks! <laughs> and imagine if like, you wouldn't have been able to enjoy those because I can't get over myself. You know what I mean? Like, when it comes to making public art, it's not only about me. It's about a lot of people. It's about the other people who are helping me, too once I take the song out of my room and start getting other people involved, it's not about just me anymore. Mm -hmm. It's about all of us now. This is all of our baby. You know what I mean? Mm. So that's why I like to, even if it's not exactly what I had in mind, I can objectively step away from it and being like, just because this wasn't what I had in mind doesn't mean it's not good.
0: Mm. It's almost like uh, having children. It comes to a point where uh, they have to leave the, the nest and, uh, live their own life.
2: Yeah, hmm. exactly. It's like maybe they maybe they don't always do what you would have done, or maybe they don't always agree with your point of view. But, I mean, that's what you got yourself into. You created a thing, and then the thing grew legs. You know, like...
0: And it walks so, away on its own.
2: And it walked away, and you have to let it walk away. Hmm. It's like...
0: We will return to the interview with Jackie Venson. Let's give a listen to a track from her album Joy. This is Rollin' and Tumblin'. Can we talk a little bit about your uh, Jackie the Robot project? What's how did that happen? Absolutely. How did that happen?
2: One word, friend. Quarantine.
0: Oh. (laughs) Had
2: a lot of time. That
0: (laughs) that was it. That was it. You just. Uh,
2: Well, it was like a. it, It started off as like a thought in the back of my mind. I was like, okay, so I want another outlet for all of the other musical ideas that I have that don't involve, that don't always involve the guitar, that don't always involve me singing, that don't always involve singing at all, really. Sometimes I maybe I want to be instrumental. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, like, a, so many different ways to go besides just writing songs within a framework. You know, like, because if I write something that's way too different, like, way too different from mm-hmm. my other stuff, it'll mess with my other stuff. People are going to wonder, wait, are you this or are you that? Mm. And, and that was kind of like the inspiration beside behind wanting a side project,
3: mm. but
2: I never pursued the side project before quarantine because I never had the time. You know, the main project, the main Jackie Vincent project was my bread and butter, and that was what I was getting hired to do. So there was no room for like side exploration before mm. we uh, went through the COVID lockdown that we're still currently going through. So before that quarantine, the initial quarantine, and then also the continuation of lockdown as a result of poor response to COVID uh, countrywide, um, I finally had the time to explore a different sound.
0: This is one of your, obviously, it's uh, one of your ways of handling the limitations that the COVID-19 pandemic uh, has imposed upon the music business yeah. What other What other ways have you have you been dealing with this? And uh, obviously, it's it had to have impacted your uh, uh, the business side of the music as well. How have you dealt with that? Have you applied for uh, assistance from like the pandemic unemployment assistance or uh, paycheck protection program?
2: Well, you know, I did. Uh, I did get twelve hundred bucks. From, uh, from from Donnie. So, oh, yeah. And I used that to buy an iPhone 11 Pro because <laughs> the, answer, the answer to your question is how I'm dealing with it is I've been doing live streams. Mm. The live streams have been uh, really just kind of like a, one of the few lights in the darkness when it comes to this insane year that we're all going through. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's not even just insane because of COVID. There's just so much going on this year. It's crazy. Like, from the jump, like, I think the first, I think the third day of 2020 was when that, that Irani general was assassinated and everybody thought it was going to be World War III or something.
3: Mm-hmm, I remember. That
2: was the third day of the year this year. <laughs> Yeah. It, was, it was, like, January 3rd or something like that. Like, we didn't even make it a week into this year without just, like, pure madness yeah, through and through. Yeah, without the
0: excrement hitting the uh, air conditioning.
2: Yeah, it's exactly, it hitting the <laughs> air conditioning. And then it's not just the fan. The fan's only one room. No, it hit the air conditioning, and it went through the whole house. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> so, like, uh, that was the... Uh, it was, like, um, the live stream's... First of all, would help me, like, now that now everybody's used to doing digital tips, which is beautiful. Because mm-hmm. before, you would live stream, and it was fun, and that was cool, but, like, when's your live show? But now, live stream's the only option, so it's been really, really great keeping food on the table. I, I won't be able to make any super expensive music videos, but I have been able to go into the studio and record more music because of the support from the digital tips and the online merge sales as a result of the live streams. So the live streams have been really really keeping me afloat. Also, um, venues have been doing, like, live stream partnerships where it's, like, a crew of two or three and you show up at the venue and you can play on a stage again and they live stream it from their venue. Mm. I've been doing that, too, because it's not not so risky. Everybody's wearing masks and there's only a few people in the club. So, that's been really cool. It's been getting me out of the house, making me feel like I still have a job. Mm. So that's the number one way I've been getting through. And then the other way I've been getting through is just, like, just getting a creative idea and then just acting on it because there's nothing else to do. Stuck at home all day.
3: Mm. So
2: I have an idea, and I don't have a tour or a show or whatever to distract me from it. So I'm able to just jump on the idea. And that's how the side project came about so quickly. Uh, That's how a lot of things have happened, like, just overnight seemingly, but it hasn't been overnight for me because the days have been so long. You know, I'm used to being on the road. I'm used to being out. The days mm-hmm. have been so long. I feel like I, I feel like every day is two days, and I, I get so much done creatively. But I don't know when I'm going to max out. We're only halfway through the year right now, man. I don't even know what the rest of the year is going to look like, but so far, my response to COVID has just been, like, creative, explosion and just hustling on the
0: internet. Let's talk a little bit about the business side of your uh, of your music. Uh, it's clear that you're uh, that you're very organized uh, and have a very well thought out and, ex- uh, and well executed uh, business model. Um, you've got you know manager, press person, booking agent. Uh, uh, how did you how do you approach the business side of your career?
2: Well, when I first got into performing and writing my own music, I realized really quickly that a a career, a music career, and this was in 2012 when I started playing my first, like playing publicly on the guitar. Mm -hmm. And also while I was playing publicly on the guitar, I was behind the scenes just writing songs and testing them out at open mics and stuff. So... When that all started, I very quickly realized that a music career without an Internet presence in 2011 and beyond was not, or 2012 and beyond, was not a music career. There's no such thing as a music career that doesn't involve an online presence with the exception of, like, really famous heritage acts that don't need it. You know, like, mm-hmm. they've been around so long, and they have so Like, Stevie Wonder doesn't need an Instagram page. He's doing he's fine. Right. right. <laughs> like, so that's one exception. The other exception is, like, a cover band. Like, you, you're not, like, trying to get a following. You're just trying to be weekend warriors and play weddings and make some extra cash, right? Right. So this is, like, the pretty much the only two performing music careers that don't need an Internet presence, an Internet following, an Internet like, building on the Internet. I realized that very, 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 very early on. And I started my Facebook page in 2012. And ever since then, it's just been a day-by-day learning process. What works? What doesn't work? How has Facebook changed? What are the new features? What's YouTube? What's going on with YouTube? What's this new platform? Try that out. You know, ever since then, it's just been this trial and error of the Internet. And Mm. through that, I've found partners. Like, I didn't have a manager for the first seven years of my career, Mm. almost. And uh, nearly seven years. And uh, I didn't have a booking agent for the first eight. So I didn't get a booking agent until last July. So all of this stuff is a result of all of the energy and effort I've put into building an Internet presence. Mm. These people would have never found me otherwise. Like, my booking agent, I don't remember the exact story on how he found me. Like I don't remember the exact chain of events. But I do remember as he was telling me exactly how he found out about me. Like, it was like a four-step thing how he found out. He's like, first I found this, and then I met this person, and then I talked to that person, and then they pointed me out to you. And like, two out of, the, two out of four of those things he said w- involved directly the internet. Like, one of them was like, he saw a YouTube video. Mm. So like, Two out, Half the things he described in the journey of him discovering who I was and wanting to work with me, half the things he described were the Internet, either a YouTube video or Facebook or the fact that he saw that I was on tour, you know, like, and, and same with management. You know, I met him a really long time ago, but he found me on the Internet, too. And uh, it's just it's always been just like a beacon, you know. And whenever these team members decide to reach out or figure out that they have room on their roster, that, that is something I can't control. But what I can control is keeping that beacon constantly going mm. so that whenever somebody does figure out a path to finding out about me, maybe they'll prove to be an addition to the team.
0: And it worked. It worked <laughs> yeah. beautifully for I you. I knew it would. I mean, from where I, I sit, it worry. looks looks like it really worked out nicely for you.
2: Well, it worked out. It works out for everybody. That's that's why I realized so early on how important it was, because it everyone that I had researched, like all the artists I had researched, that I was kind of like wanting to maybe end up in a place around where they were, you know? Because you know when you're when you're embarking on something, you got to have people and paths that you kind of draw from and draw inspiration from. Mm. So when I'm looking up artists whose careers that sound like they would be ideal, like it would be ideal if I could have the career of this person. Whenever I look up any of those people, they all had one thing in common. They all had a great Internet presence. Mm. Yeah, no matter what genre, no matter what country, no matter what language they sing their music in. They all have one thing in common. They have a great Internet presence. And the, like I said, the only exception are heritage acts that don't need it anyway.
0: And even yeah. them, some of, the, some of them are even uh, getting on that uh, bandwagon.
2: A lot of them are. They don't need to, but a lot of them are. And I think it's because it's fun. You know, we have a good time. And they realize that it's less work. It's like, hey, check it out. You want to do a meet and greet? You don't even need to show up in person anymore. Oh, my God, can you imagine if, like, Earth, Wind & Fire had a Zoom meet-and-greet? Oh, my mm. God, people mm. would pay mm. for that. Yeah. People would pay for that, and it's simple. It would be easy. Download Zoom. Boom. Wow. Done. You're ready. You're mm. ready to go. Mm. You know, what I mean? imagine if Earth, Wind & Fire was like, hey, you want to do a Zoom meet-up?
0: Oh, I'd love to meet talk, and talk to them. I'd love to pick their brains. Yeah. <laughs> 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 can
2: you imagine? Even if the Zoom meet-and-greet was hosted, so, like, each person only gets, a, like, three minutes to talk to the artist. Mm. Hell yeah, man. I would love to talk to... Oh, my God. Imagine if I could talk to Stevie Wonder for three minutes.
0: Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> that would be wonderful.
2: <laughs> and then when I'm done, the next person gets to talk to it for three minutes. hmm You know what I mean? Like, all over Zoom. He doesn't even have to leave his house. But, like I said, he, he really doesn't need it. Can you imagine the mailbox money he gets? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. He doesn't need to. If he's living his life and he's having a good time right now, then hell yes, yeah, you wonder. Go live your life and have a good time right now. Don't worry about it. Yeah,
0: me. I think at this point but, uh, he's pretty yeah. much earned the right to do he's whatever he wants dues, he's, pro- you know? he's got nothing left to prove.
2: <laughs> well, cause, and he's also paid his dues. That guy, that guy was a child prodigy. So, like, mm-hmm. he's been on tour and doing music nonstop literally every year and every moment of his life. He deserves a break. Yeah. But the point still stands, though. A lot of these. Uh, Famous people, if they felt like it, would probably find that uh, they could have a pretty cool time and and have a very unique first time ever in history, a very unique way to connect with their fans, a, a very unique and safe way. It's like he's he doesn't have to show up, and they don't have you don't have to worry about metal detectors and all that shit. Because I've seen I've seen uh, meet and greets for really famous people. You know, they, they have to be very.
3: Lockdown down
2: and, you know, like, it's like, and I understand, you know, mm-hmm. people are crazy. And they do crazy stuff, especially, especially the famous people. So it's like having a Zoom meet and greet is like something that has never been available in history. They could also do like, man, if I was really famous, you could even charge like 5K or something or 10K or 20 or whatever mm. just to go live to somebody to an individual music like living room. Imagine if you could pay $50,000 and hang out with Beyonce Mm. on Zoom, just you and your friends on Zoom, her personally, for 40 minutes. Mm. You got 45 minutes. Let's do this. You know what I'm saying? That is actually a very
0: good idea. I'm sure somebody's going to come up with it.
2: It'd be way more expensive with Beyonce. It'd be like half a million. But what I'm saying is like, imagine if you have a really rich fan. And like you could pay Elton John to chill with you on Zoom for like a half an hour.
0: Mm.
2: And Elton John, it's no skin off his back. He's just sitting in his room, all he has to do is press join meeting. <laughs> you
0: know what I mean? like, and yeah, and he so, has a nice conversation yeah. with somebody wow, that's actually a great yeah, idea. You're, and he, you're full of good yeah, ideas.
2: <laughs> this is what I'm saying, like the internet is endless and but like like I said, the, the ironically the people who could do this kind of stuff are the people who need it the least. Mm. Yeah. <laughs>
0: you know? Let's let's talk about your political views if you don't mind. Uh, does you, do your political views play a role in either your art artistic or business approaches to music?
2: My political views are very closely tied to my moral beliefs.
3: Mm-hmm. Um
2: Unfortunately, when it comes to the nitty-gritty of actual politics and voting for this person or voting for that person, um, I, have to, I have to make a compromise with morals, because I, I truly believe that just the way that we operate our politics is inherently flawed. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think that, like, no matter which way you go, evil has to be done with politics, like, that's how I feel about the president. You know, everyone's like, oh, so-and-so, so, so evil. I'm like, no, the job's evil. You literally can't do that job without being responsible for death. It's impossible. Like, the job comes with blood on your hands already. Mm-hmm. For day one, you got blood on your hands if you're the president of the United States. It's just the end of it. So I, I think, like, saying that, I think the whole thing is inherently flawed. So when it comes to that, I just do my best. I do vote. I do my best. I know that whoever I'm voting for isn't going to be perfect. I know that they're probably going to do some messed up stuff. But all I can do is my best in that regard, and I don't want to be one of those people who doesn't vote. Mm. So that's how I feel about that kind of politics. When it comes to politics in relation to my actions, my song messages, that's the politics that's very closely tied to my morals. So it's like I'm I'm always going to speak out against stuff that I consider to be immoral or inhumane,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, and that's and I wish that I could be that strict with actual politics, but like I said, the whole thing is flawed. There's no way to not be inhumane and not be immoral sometimes when we're talking about larger governments and larger politicians and stuff. I mean, it's just impossible. It's just a just the way the world is right now. I'm, I'm hoping that maybe with this quarantine we figure some other stuff out. But you know, big change happens in small pieces. So I'm also I'm, I'm pretty much a realist when it comes to that kind of stuff. I'm not going to be altruistic. I don't think any one person can fix all of our problems. I don't even think any one administration can fix all of our problems. I feel like it's like 330 million people in America. How are we going to fix all of our problems? It's like all we can do is try. That's yeah. how I feel about it. And, um yeah, but when it comes to my song messages, usually if my song is political, it's because I'm talking about something that's inhumane that we all need to be aware of, or that's immoral, or that's something that we at least need to think about, talk about, and not sleep under the rug. Mm. That That's my approach. I'm not going to, like, just sit here and tell you who to vote for. No. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm um, not going to do that either.
0: Yeah, I, uh, personally, I don't either, but... uh um, what about your views about uh, musicians organizing as a political entity? Um, had you considered working with or joining some some uh, organization like the American Federation of Musicians or uh, Musicians for Musicians or something like that, the Musicians Union?
2: I'm not in the union, um, but I do heavily support um, music nonprofits, both national and local.
3: Mm-hmm. Mostly
2: local because I I, I believe that, as individuals, we can only do so much,
3: mm-hmm. and I
2: believe that, as individuals, we should all focus on our own communities. Mm-hmm. So instead of trying to, like, fix a problem in Minneapolis, I'm going to tackle what looks like a similar problem in Austin, because I actually have the power to do something like that in Austin, whereas I'm not connected to any other city the same way. So I believe that if we all, instead of being overwhelmed with all of our national problems, if we all just focus on our individual community problems, that all together, nationally, things will improve. You know what I mean? So um, locally, I'm very involved. I donate to a lot of music nonprofits. I I agree to do a lot of interviews and podcasts. I did a podcast with a city councilman, Austin mm-hmm. City Councilman, last week, and he was or two weeks ago, and he... Um, he basically allowed me to talk to his, his fan base, his, his base. Mm. So I took that opportunity, even though it was kind of nerve-wracking, I still took it because the questions he wanted to ask me were really important and the answers were really important for people in my community to hear. So in that way, I'm always going to be willing to stand up and speak and speak my mind about stuff that's going on, or I'm always going to be down to call out inequities and injustices within my own community. But when it comes to a larger country... America, United States, I don't have the power to do that. So I would rather focus my energy on the stuff that I have the power to actually change, which mm. is just my community, really.
0: Think Austin globally Texas. and act locally.
2: Yeah, exactly. Think globally, act locally, exactly. And I, I uh, follow that. Mm. I follow that pretty hard. And, and, you know, like maybe the stuff that I post on the Internet does reach people outside of Austin, Texas. And you know what? I'm happy about that. But when Mm. it comes to my actual time and my actual energy, it's like you don't want to take off more. You don't want to bite off more than you can chew, and that's what I mean about trying to tackle national problems. I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm only one person, Mm. but I can mobilize my community to at least start conversations. I can donate and help other people in my community who are who are hurting and who need help. That's the stuff that I can do. So that's the stuff that I do.
3: Mm. Okay.
0: One last thing, one last thing. Yep. Um, the inevitable question of uh, racism and sexism in music uh, is going to rear its ugly head. Um, what, what, what were some of your experiences with this, and how did you, how did you deal with it?
2: Basically, um, the entire music industry, for me, at the beginning was a bolted, melted closed door that was missing a door handle. Mm. So it's like, hey, you gotta go through that door if you wanna be successful in this business and I look over at the door and it's melted closed and it doesn't mm-hmm. have a door handle. And I'm like, uh <laughs> and so I so I call up my dad and I'm like, Dad, how the hell with ten thousand other people trying to get the same thing, what do I do? And he told me, he's like, well, if the door's melted closed, you're going to have to go around the back and maybe find like a cellar door or another window. And then you have to pry that window open and go in that way. Mm. And that's essentially my experience as a black woman artist. I hardly ever get let in the first time. Hardly ever. These days that's changed, but that's because I made a name for myself.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But, be- but before all that, for several, several years, Um, the first thing that would happen is the door would be slammed shut or not even open in the first place.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: No, hardly ever was anything like, oh, yeah, please, please come do this. Please, we want you to come do this. It wasn't that. It was me having to build my own platform, build my own buzz, build my own crowd, and get to the point where these people needed me more than I needed them. Mm. It's like, hey, I know that I told you, no- I know that I didn't even respond to your email five years ago, but now you can bring five hundred people into a building. So now I would like to talk to you.
0: Yeah, now they're your friends.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh yeah, you want me to bring my crowd up in your building? <laughs> no, sorry, I don't like your building. Yeah. I'm going to choose a different building. Peace. That's how it is now. But it was like years of sending myself on tour. Out of my own pocket, going on tours solo—I mean, completely solo—doing the driving, doing the load-in, all of it, completely alone, mm-hmm. me and my dog. Like it was years of that to land random opportunities, like what we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. um, um, Silvana, right? Yeah. In the, yeah. The, the, yeah. So after I got, after I randomly out of nowhere, after paying my way to New York and playing that gig for seventy-five dollars. Mm -hmm. that's the gig that the drummer of the Late Show Band saw me at and decided to talk to John Batiste about having me sit in. And after I sat in for that gig, I went back home from that, and Austin was like, hey, you want to come be on the (laughs) news? Hey, remember that gig that you tried to get two years ago? Do you want to (laughs) know? You know, like, I'm serious. Like, after, and that was the 10th time I'd been to New York. You know, I'd been to New York nine other times before that happened, all out of pocket, everything out of pocket, everything alone. Sometimes my mom would help me. Sometimes my sister would help me. But sometimes I was completely alone, doing all the social media myself, doing all the booking myself, reaching out to the clubs before I go to New York. Hey, can I play here? All of that stuff I had to do just to make it so that the melted door at least brandished the handle. mm like, okay, now there's a handle on the door. That's good. We're Better than we were like, like three years ago. <laughs> Metaphorically speaking, there's a handle on the door now.
0: <laughs> and so it seems like, uh, to be paying off now.
2: Well, yeah, of course it is, because I'm the one who, brought, who, who built it in the first place. Of course it's paying off. But if you can bring a 1,000 people to a building, yeah, it's mm. going to pay off. Any building is going to be like, what? You mean you can bring people to come buy our drinks? Yeah, please come here. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And that's something that my dad taught me, having to be a black man in the awesome music industry in the 80s and the 90s. He taught me that from the beginning. You know, after I called him up one day about how, like, nobody ever even gives me the time of day in this town. He's like, well, they don't give you the time of day because they they can't get anything from you. Mm. (laughs) They're only going to give you the time of day when they can get something from you. And I don't know if that's a black woman thing or if that's just an artist thing, but Uh, It is a black woman thing sometimes When you look at lineups And you see that they haven't hired a black band in six years
3: Mm.
2: You know, it it has to be that too And it also is a black woman thing When I see another artist um, At my same level With my same struggles But getting better opportunities And and in my same city I'm like, wait, wait, wait wait, wait." So you're going to play her first EP But you're not going to play my first EP? Why? She's not drawing a crowd. Why, why are you playing her music? She's just as un, unknown as mine. Why did you throw my CD away but play hers?
3: Mm. So that's
2: when the black woman thing comes in, into play. I'm like, I can't help but think, maybe this one guy didn't hire me because he hasn't hired a black artist in 10 years.
3: Mm. Mm. There, mm. It's,
2: it's really very impossible to not think that when you see that kind of evidence. You know?
0: Yeah, I hear you. Well, um, thank you for joining us. Uh, Thank you so much for your time, and thank you for a very enjoyable conversation.
2: Um, Yeah, good time, man.
0: Is there there anything you want to add uh, uh, in closing?
2: Well, I'm coming out with a new album this year in October, so uh, stay tuned for that, and I guess just check me out online. I'm I'm always coming out with new stuff.
0: Beautiful. I look forward to it. And thanks again. Thanks, man. All right.
2: Appreciate
0: it. Thank you for joining us with this interview with Jackie Venson. The topics we discussed included Jackie's beginnings as a musician, her approach to songwriting, her approach to uh, video production, the Jackie the Robot project, her business philosophies and practices, how she's handling the COVID-19 pandemic, political views, and her experiences facing racism and sexism in the music business. Let's listen to some more of her music. This is a piece called Witchcraft.
1: swept away